You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 71, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Welcome to The Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun, informative format through expert analysis. Today's expert is just me. Today's a solo episode. I'll try and keep it relatively brief. But I want to try and answer the questions that I get asked the most often. Actually, the question I ask the most often is, how do we fix the mess we're in? How do we fix healthcare? Uh, not only is that a gigantic question, it's also one that's really hard to answer. But I think what I'd like to an- focus on today is why is it so expensive? And again, I'm not going to answer all the reasons why it's expensive, but we're going to go through the major reasons why the things that don't really make sense, but we're going to make sense of them today and at least explain the motivations of the players who are charging the outlandish fees and why they are the way they are. And I think that'll be important because once you know the root cause, then you can figure out how to fix it. Now, the fixes aren't easy, and the explanations are a little bit Byzantine. There's, it's hard to, hard to unravel everything. And so I'll try and break it out into four major components. The first being the hospital charges. Why do the hospital charges, why are they so high? And then the second is insurance. Why is insurance okay with really high hospital costs? Because you expect there's a tension, and there definitely is. Why is there not as much tension as there should be between hospital systems and insurance companies? In fact, one of the common things you'll see nowadays is many hospitals own insurance companies, or they're in the same sort of foundation, or they have the same corporate board. Why is that? How is that even possible? You think that there's no way you could have these two entities which have should have conflicting goals, right? One is to control costs, to dry them down as far as possible, and provide the care for their patients. And the other is to get as much as you can. I mean, that's the whole point of a business, extract as much money as you can, get as much revenue as you can, while lowering your expenses in order to maximize your profit, even if you're a nonprofit, the, uh, as, we'll, as you probably know, and we've discussed in the show many times, the motivations, the business aspect of a nonprofit versus a profit in the healthcare industry is really no different. They just the difference is the tax status. But we'll talk about hospitals, the insurance companies, and then what about the physician components? Why do physicians charge as much as they do? And then finally, drug prices, or the pharmacy benefit managers, or NGPOs. How are they involved in the elevated and skyrocketing healthcare prices? And so we'll try and kind of answer all those questions, and then we'll start with a story. 
So back when I was interviewing for medical school, way back in the day, <laughs> this is like almost 20 years ago now, I was asked the question in my interview, why is healthcare so expensive? And you'll oftentimes hear the answer that's threefold. And I gave the standard answer because it's not something I'd ever really thought about. I didn't know anything about it. I was just a dumb undergrad uh, you know, finishing my degree uh, in engineering at University of Michigan. And so the question was, you know, why is healthcare so expensive? And so I gave the stock answer, right? And the answer is, well, there's a lot of technology. And as we add new technology into treating people, well, technology is expensive, without a doubt. It's a lot cheaper to buy a really old car with old technology than it is to buy a brand new car. And so naturally, as you add more and more technology, the cost of care is going to go up and up. Now, obviously, some of this is probably due to just normal inflationary expects with that all the economy sees. But there's certainly parts of the economy that you notice that there's not actually an increase in price. And so we'll talk about that in a moment. The second answer is, well, the problem is, is most of our care in this country, because we don't handle death well, and our goal is to preserve life as long as possible, that we spend a lot of money on end-of-life care. Now, this might be ICU care. Now, a lot of times, it might be hospice or palliative. But that most of the procedures that we perform, all the expensive care, ventilators, all that sort of thing, those all kind of happen towards the end of life, obviously. It doesn't cost much to keep someone alive when they're healthy, but it's when they're sick at the end of life, when you're much more likely to use healthcare resources, that's when we spend a lot of our money. And so there's a lot of money spent keeping someone alive at the very end. And finally, drug prices. With the pharmaceutical companies having uh, control of the market, they can dictate prices. They come up with very, very expensive medications. They have a limited patent. And so they extract as much money as they can before it's too late. And their patent expires, their medications go generic. And so that's sort of the standard three prongs, I guess, to why healthcare is so expensive. But I think essentially they're all wrong. They're both right and wrong, but more wrong than they are right. And I think we'll go into explaining why that is in just a moment. But back when I first started, before I was went to medical school, and I would say even probably until residency or leaving residency, that's kind of what I thought. And that's actually the story you get a lot of the time. Well, why it's so expensive? Because old people and old people are using lots of technology, all these heroic, life-saving uh measures, and then also all those expensive drugs that they're on. And so, I mean, in some ways, it's sort of an indictment of old people, uh, or I should say the elderly, but essentially that they're the ones, you know, causing all this problem. And that's really probably not the right answer. I mean, it's true in the sense that they do use, utilize healthcare much more than people who are young and healthy, but they're not the reason why healthcare is so expensive. And the reason is because, again, those four things I talked about. So let's first start with the hospitals. It's not unusual for hospitals that you have charges that are much, much higher than they accept from an insurance carrier. So it's not surprising also that you'll find insurance carriers that will contract with a hospital for a fairly, a fairly common service. Let's say you're getting a total knee, total hip replacement. Fairly standard stay, you know about how long it's going to take in the operating room, you know the sort of equipment you're using, you know the surgeons you have, the anesthesia services, laboratories, pharma, you know, the pharmacology, the medications you have to use, the nursing care, all that you can have a fairly decent idea if you are a hospital on sort of how much stuff you need 
as far as personnel, et cetera. And if you have a fairly active service, you're going to have fairly decent volume. You're going to have a pretty consistent amount of bed utilization. Mostly during the week, you provide your physical therapist, your occupational therapist, all those other sort of people who are involved in the care. You kind of know what you need. And so it would make sense that you would have kind of some sort of idea of how much you bundle for or how much you would charge the insurance company for that service. And so insurance companies contract with not only the hospitals, but oftentimes with the providers. And by providers, I mean it could be the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, the anesthesiologist, the surgeons, pathologists, radiologists, all those sorts of other ancillary people who are involved in the care of the pa- their patient, and depending on what it is. But it would not be unusual to have a $100,000 bill that's posted by the hospital, and they'd contract that same amount and they discount it significantly for the insurance carrier, and this is even a commercial carrier who generally pay more than a government payer like Medicare and certainly Medicaid, uh, their charge would be oftentimes 10%, maybe 15%. So for that $100,000 hospital bill, they would accept $10,000, maybe $15,000. Well, it seems kind of strange that you would insist as a hospital system to charge so much. It doesn't make any sense you charge that much above and beyond what you're willing to take from someone else, especially since you think that rarely... Are you going to get a self-pay patient who doesn't have care insurance, which is what the hospitals are in some ways protecting themselves from, right? By getting more money from commercial carriers uh, than you, what you get through a government payer like Medicare. That you'd have a charge so high that it's really prohibitive for anyone who doesn't have any sort of insurance to actually be able to pay that bill. So why would they, why would they have a bill $90,000, 90% more than what they're willing to take? It's kind of puzzling because unless there's unless they have a deal with the insurance company, which is entirely possible, where they pay a percent of charges, so that can occasionally happen, but it's very rare, there's no reason to jack up your prices so much because it's not something that happens typically with the hospitals. So the answer to this is primarily something that's called disproportionate share for hospitals. Now, this is a federal program that's administered both through the state and the federal government directly, basically through Medicare and Medicaid services. And what you want to think about with this is it's basically the way for the federal government to compensate hospitals for taking care of people who can't pay. This is something that I think most people would think is okay for the government to do. And so what does that mean exactly? Well, basically, people come in, they're unable to pay their bills, the hospital has to provide the care, and they provide the care, they have some sort of amount that they provided, let's say they provided $100,000 for the care for someone, that person can't pay their bill, they never pay, so the hospital is sort of out $100,000. So how does the hospital get that money back? Well, they have complicated formulas, essentially, but they will then qualify and, and try and verify a disproportionate share of hospitals. And so this is the hospitals accounting for how much they were uncompensated. So this you can see now immediately, if they had a $100,000 bill and the insurance company paid $15,000, the hospital claimed that they received $15,000 of revenue, but they were shorted $85,000. So you can see right away that if there's an incentive to have a large spread between how much you charge and how much you receive, that you're going to inflate the amount you receive, the the amount of difference as much as possible. They have to keep this within reason, I suppose, and some level, I'm not exactly sure how they determine this. I'll be honest, I'm not aware of that. But 
essentially you are incentivized by getting this large amount of what's called uncompensated care. Now, just by my explanation, you can see that it was compensated. We're not talking about someone who got charged $100,000 and paid zero. We're talking someone who paid $15,000 essentially or paid for by their insurance company. But this hospital still charged $100,000. They claim $85,000 of uncompensated care. And then they will get paid a percentage of that from the federal government. Well, how large a payment are we talking about here? Well, last year's I found in 2017, so just a couple years ago, the amount of uncompensated care this, that goes to this disproportionate share hospitals totaled $18.1 billion that went to hospitals directly for treating uncompensated care. Now, this is not an amount they get, they get paid by CMS, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, for services. They also receive that, obviously. They get paid from the commercial carriers for insurance. But this is what they are essentially making from the federal government. So the hospital systems in the United States get about, got in 2017 anyway, $10 billion, a little over, from the federal government, and they got $7.7 billion from the states, and those would be funneled through the Medicaid system. So this is a massive amount of money, and this is why you're starting to see the hospital systems who are flush with money buying up medical groups, buying up other hospitals, because they can then especially if they're a large health system, they can get a little bit larger. And even buying community hostels, which in general would be kind of a money loser, they continue to provide this care uncompensated through these charges, and they can then get an amount back for these charges. And we're talking about not small amounts of money. We're talking about millions, if not tens of millions of dollars, especially if the, as the hospital systems get larger and larger. This is a ton of money. And this is money that's then used for doing whatever hospitals do. Operations, mergers, acquisitions, and the like. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that the only way hospitals make money is by providing uncompensated care. Clearly, they don't. I mean, clearly, they get paid most of their money from actual compensated care uh, through insurance providers, government payers, and some self-pay. But this is a very large portion, and this incentivizes the hospital systems to have as large a payment as possible in order to to claim as much compensated care to then qualify for as much uncompensated care with this disproportionate share for payments. So then it moves us to the next question. Why would an insurance company be okay with that? Well, in one level, we can say, well, the insurance company, they certainly want to keep costs low. But like any business, they have a certain revenue from premium payments and contributions from employers and patients. And they have certain their expenses, which is paying out to hospitals and the like. And so the incentive, of course, for the insurance companies is to keep those as low as possible. But what is strange, and certainly if you talk to people like Dr. Keith Smith, who we, I spoke to in a much earlier episode, you'll find that the insurance companies are not super stringent on keeping the charges, the posted charges, low. And as those charges get higher, the insurance companies are kind of okay with that. Well, so then that begs the question, why is that so? And that's because of, not surprisingly, the hospitals have charge a high price in order to qualify for these uncompensated care. Well, the insurance companies then do the same thing because they will say, they'll turn around to the an employer and say, look, on this $100,000 bill, we saved you $85,000 with our discount. And you have an agreement with us 
that you'll pay us a, a bounty, a percentage of how much we save you. So if we find care that's way less than what's charged, then you pay us a small percent. And so the hospitals charge that amount, but the insurance companies also get benefit from this sort of outlandish system. Now, the agreement they have with the employers might vary. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's half a percent, maybe it's 0.1%, not sure. But it doesn't really matter because as the hospital charges go way up, and this also goes for pharmaceuticals, for charges with uh, physician groups and other healthcare personnel like a physical therapist or occupational therapist, speech therapist, you know, whomever. There again is that incentive to drive up those costs so that your savings appear large because some contracts you sign with employers, the insurance companies get a bounty for providing big discounts because they get a percentage of that back. It's sort of like if you find the fraud that uh, through your Medicare bill, you know, there was someone charged you for something that you didn't receive, like a certain medication or a certain procedure or a test, you tell us, and you know, maybe the it's three thousand dollar bill, we'll give you ten, twenty percent of that to the patient, and you know, then of course the insurance company would save however much money. And Medicare actually has a program like that where they sort of the whistleblower law where you if you can find erroneous charges that you get a, a percentage back. So it's sort of like that for an insurance company that they get a if they save a bunch of money, they get a percentage back. Now, I don't know how common this is, but even if it's a very small percentage of the insurance company's business that's structured on this, there's still a huge incentive to do it even a little bit just because they can make a ton of money doing this with just even a few a few employers in town, maybe large employers, maybe only need a couple that are willing to work on this process as employers looking to do anything they possibly can to drive down their expenses because healthcare as anyone in this country knows, is super expensive. And employers are getting creamed by it. And I speak of that both as someone who has to buy his own insurance, <laughs> but also as someone who's part of business in our own medical practice, which is, I think, ironic that, you know, actually medicine. But one of the biggest expenses is the benefits and uh, medical costs. But that's not, not any sort of breaking news. Everybody knows that for any business. And that sort of leads into the next one, which is the providers, the physician groups generally. Why are their charges so high? Well, it's pretty much the same as for the insurance companies. And that is that there is a rate that you have to that you contract with every insurance provider. Now, Medicare and Medicaid have set rates that are based on your location in the country and on various what we call the CPTs or the procedural codes. And so those really don't fluctuate much. But where there are differences is with all the commercial payers, whether that's Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, United Health, etc. So you will contract specifically with each one of these different insurance companies, and your rates are determined by whatever you negotiate. Now, some places, like say I know the state of Michigan, Blue Cross Blue Shield has a pretty much a set rate. They do alter it based on where you are in the state. Uh, but essentially, they sort of, this is the rate we pay kind of everybody. And so Blue Cross Blue Shield kind of acts like Medicare or Medicaid, except that they pay better a little bit in the state. In some states, they pay much better uh, than the government payers in order to have a better uh, access to care. Because if you just just straight Medicare, it's sometimes a little bit tough to get in to see somebody, as someone who's on Medicare may know. But with other insurance providers depending on how large they are, 
they can strike different deals with healthcare professionals. So if you're someone who has very low market penetration, it's really hard for you to have any sort of leverage. So with any negotiation, the strength of your negotiation position is entirely dependent on your market share, how much you command of wherever it is that your market is. So for instance, if you're an insurance company and over half the patients use your insurance, you have a tremendous power to dictate the price. Likewise, if you're someone who's providing care for somebody and you have the market share in some area, then you are able to, for the most part, command a price much better than the insurance company. So it's entirely dependent on size oftentimes. If you're a small carrier, or maybe you're a large carrier nationally, but you have a small presence in a certain location, which is entirely possible that maybe Aetna is a giant nationwide insurance company and they might be really tough to negotiate with in certain parts of the country. In other parts of the country, they may have, for whatever reason, a lot of trouble getting into the market, having prices that are affordable, that they can get in and meet with employers and provide them good rates so the employers are not interested in, they'd rather use the current insurance companies. And so for that reason, maybe Aetna is very weak in some certain places. So the strength of an insurance company is entirely regional and it's kind of random. It's hard to sort of predict. But essentially, if they have a very low market penetration, they don't have much influence over the price. So that's where the large provider groups, uh, physician groups, physical therapists, etc., where they can command much better negotiating position. And they will oftentimes find contracts that can be determined on based on price. And so they will tell the insurance company, well, we're just going to charge you 60% of our postage charges or 50% or whatever. Well, the bigger you make your number that you're charging a percentage of, the larger your f fees are that you're going to capture. So this is not surprising. I mean, obviously, if you charge $100 and you say, we're going to make you pay 50% charges, that's $50. But if it's $1,000, now you're making $500. Likewise, if you said it's $75, well, now you're making 3750 And so the more you have it elevated or inflated, the better your rates are. Now, you're still going to be taking maybe $25 from some other insurance provider that's really has big market penetration you're not able to negotiate with well. But if you can squeeze the people who have a low market penetration with a little bit more, you have every incentive of having a really high charge, even though for the most part, you're not really going to charge that to anybody except the occasional self-pay person. And so they're kind of out of luck because they're forced to pay these very high rates simply because you're charging a percent of charges to the rare insurance company. You're not really at any disadvantage by charging a lot, having po large posted charges for most of your insurance providers. But if you can get it's sort of benef any benefit from even a few insurance companies, it's entirely <laughs> in your best interest to charge a ton, at least with your rack rate, to everybody. Because your posted charges, then you get a percentage of that. So it makes sense for you. There's no reason, there's no downside to it. The downside, of course, would be to the person who doesn't have insurance and just gets care, and then now you're unable to lower your rate for those people specifically. Now, you can always work things out. You can have sort of care that you sort of provide for a lot less. You can sort of, people can call and negotiate with the, with the provider. And this would even go for a hospital, too. You could do some sort of thing like this, too. But essentially, it requires a lot of initiative on the, on the, um, on the, end of the patient. And sometimes, if you're a provider group, you might not actually 
charge less. You may just say, you're out of luck. I'm going to send you collections. Now, this probably doesn't happen that often, because generally people would rather get something than nothing, and to send it to collections is a pain. And you'd rather not do that if you don't have to, because you don't usually get as much from collections. You get 50%. The collection agency gets 50%. As anyone who runs a business, if you can avoid sending people to collection, it's, you're always better off, because it's just very t difficult work collecting money. It's better to work out a deal if you can ahead of time. This then brings us to the last arm of outlandish hospital expenses. And I shouldn't say hospital expenses, but I should say medical expenses. And that would be pharmaceuticals or the pharmacy benefit managers. So you might recall back in episode five, and then I also talked to Dr. Feldman about the incentive for these pharmacy benefit managers to have extremely high rates. And so the way this works again can be found in more detail in the show notes, which will be found at theparadox.com slash 071. I'll have links to the episodes where I discussed this earlier. But essentially, you have these pharmacy benefit managers who have every incentive to have really expensive drug prices and the formularies that people pay because they will get, we won't call them kickbacks, essentially that's what they are, but really you have them incentivized to have very expensive drugs in the formulary because they will then command discounts from the pharmaceutical company. So let's say pharmaceutical company says, in order to get on your formulary, which means that they will be, our patients will have access to your formulary, we are willing to take a 50% discount. So our $1,000 drug, we're willing to sell you for $500. What most pharmacy benefit managers do now, not all of them, but many of them, especially the biggest ones in the country, is they'll say, thank you very much. We'd love to have that discount pass it on to the customers. And they pass on a very small percentage of that savings. So of that $500 they collect for a discount, they pass maybe a small percentage, maybe 10%. So they can pocket the other $450. You can also see at this stage that there's every incentive for the pharmacy benefit manager to have expensive drugs on the formulary. So you'll see there's there may be opportunities where a drug has gone generic. And you think, oh, well then naturally, your, your insurance company is going to want to have you know, this go-to, this generic drug that's only $100. But the insurance companies will contract with these pharmacy benefit managers to provide a formulary for their patients to get these discounts because most of the medications come through these pharmacy benefit managers. But the pharmacy benefit manager has every incentive to have the $1,000 drug as a first-line therapy versus the $100 drug because even though they get a 50% discount on, let's say, the one that's $100, they would only be able to pocket $50. If a $1,000 drug, even if their discount's less than 50%, let's say it's only 25%, that's still $250. And so it's still to their benefit to have the larger medication, the more expensive medication, I should say, as the one that they will have on their formulary as a first-line therapy. And so you'll th see things change very frequently with these pharmacy benefit managers in the formularies from year to year. Because at the next year, a different pharmacy may say, hey, or, or if I should say pharmaceutical company, will say, hey, we will provide you a medication at a 60% discount. And so what was a first-line therapy suddenly becomes a third-line therapy because now the other drug that they're going to take on that's, say, $900, so it maybe is even less than the previous drug, they're now getting a 75% discount, let's say, or 60%. And so you know, they get you know $600 back. So the charge of the patient and the, the insurance company is still pretty much about the same. Maybe they'll get a little bit less but essentially, it's, they're not saving a lot of money. 
But the main way these pharmacy benefit managers make their money as these middlemen establish these formularies to provide easy sort of distribution and easy pharmacy uh, tier creation for these insurance companies is basically they just make their money on these kickbacks or this. They take the discount, pocket most of it, give a little bit back to the insurance companies. Well, not surprisingly, the insurance companies figure this out, right? And so they want a piece of this action because it's been getting bigger and bigger over the last few years. There's also a reason why there's drug shortage, which I go into episode five, but we won't go into that today. But you also are noticing now in the national stage, you'll see these large pharmacy benefit managers merging with insurance companies. These insurance companies recognize that this is a potentially large source of revenue. For one thing, we know we're getting screwed because we see how much these companies are making. And the only way they're making this much money is because they're basically shafting us. And so you see things like CVS Caremark, which is a large pharmacy benefit manager, merging with, trying to merge with Aetna which is a large national insurance company. So Edna figures they'll not only have access to this pharmacy benefit manager, and they'll be able to get much better discounts for their pharmaceuticals, but also they'll be able to get a piece of this action as far as getting a revenue source stream from these kickbacks, these rebates they get from the pharmaceutical companies. So it's entirely possible that most of the time we blame the pharmaceutical companies when they're actually offering these drugs at a more reasonable rate to these, in order to get their, on these formularies to these pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs, they're actually only getting a fraction of what it is. So this is not much different than the other than the other providers and all the other players we've been talking about. You have all these reasons for these elevated charges when no one in any step of this process expects to get that money. But there are incentives all throughout the process from various directions that encourage very high prices. You don't see this in many places in that I'm aware of in the economy. There's no incentive to sell uh, agricultural products for high prices because there's no, I mean, there's not really, I don't think, much of an incentive process. You don't get paid for uncompensated, you know, avocado growth or something like that. But you do get that in medicine. I hope that all makes sense. And so I guess in summation, I'd say the hospitals charge a lot because they can then get the large amounts of funding, these disproportionate share from for hospitals from the federal government, which again, a few years ago, totaled over $17 billion. They want a couple million dollars each for providing all this uncompensated care, which is, for the most part, oftentimes, I guess you'd almost say bogus. They do definitely provide uncompensated care. Hospitals, some care for the indigent more than others. There's some people come in who are in car accidents, they don't have any insurance, or all sorts of things that happen that hospitals do care for. But a large portion of their disproportionate care is because they have such elevated prices that are not really reasonable. But in order to qualify for, for a greater share of uncompensated care based on their Medicare, Medicaid rates. You then have the insurance companies who have incentive because oftentimes they have deals with employers, even a small percentage of employers, that pay an extra bounty on the amount of savings they provide their their uh, their policyholders, and so even if these have these elevated prices, they save money, which is not really real savings because for one thing it wasn't real charges from the hospital. They'll then say we should get a percentage of that as an extra uh, incentive for us, and so they are okay with large hospital charges. This is one of the reasons, incidentally, that when I talked to Keith Smith, he had so much trouble initially with his surgery center of Oklahoma charging such low transparent prices, why the insurance companies were not that interested in doing business with him. 
he thought for sure they'd be all over it because they'd want to have lower rates, lower expenses. But there's much more incentive for them to have elevated prices at the hospital, even though they paid more, because they would get back more revenue from the employers through these contract deals. Thirdly, when it comes to professionals in healthcare, whether that's physicians or physical therapists, etc., they have some portion of their contracted insurance rates that are based on charges. And so they have every reason to have an ever-increasing charge rate, even though they don't expect anyone to pay that amount. But there are some insurance companies that have such poor penetration or they're such small players that the best they can hope for to get anybody to take care of their patients and to not be departicipated, which means that they don't have a contract with somebody, is that they can provide this care on a percentage of charges. And so the higher your charges are, the higher the percent that you get paid the higher amount that percent will be. And finally, the pharmacy benefit managers, they have every incentive of having elevated prices because they get a percentage of discounts from the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturer, the drug companies. And so they also are incentivized to have high drug costs, which they then pass those high prices on to the insurance companies and the patients, which is you and me, because they get that large kickback that goes into their pockets. So the million-dollar question, of course, is, well, maybe trillion-dollar question, <laughs> is how do you make it cheaper? Well, if you know what the four problems are, I think you can look at it and decide what would work and what wouldn't work. But I think it's also important to look at this process and, and ask yourself, one of the main questions is, how is this a market? And I would say it's a market, but it's ex incredibly distorted from so many different directions. And so it's hard to say that the U.S. has a market-based medical system when there's so many forces that you would say are not typical in any sort of market that you would con think, consider. I mean, generally, technology lowers prices. You add computers, you add efficiency and productivity, and yet medicine does exactly the opposite. You have, you have every incentive in almost every step of medicine to raise the price, whereas in the, a normal economy, you have every incentive to lower your price in order to gain market share not the case in medicine. The only other place you might see this similar sort of mechanism is in higher education, where you see ever-increasing ever prices, and yet the product is pretty much the same. Although I noticed that like the place where I went to school now has a rock climbing wall and much, much, much nicer food and fancier dorms than it used to have. But essentially, the education is basically the same, right? And so... Outside of higher education, healthcare is probably the most screwed up, but it's market forces, the incentives to actually do things that a normal market would do are all backwards. And so the next time someone says, well, we've got a free market medical system in the United States, you can say, we don't really at all have a free market medical system. We're very far from it. Whether you think that's the best way to get us back to a more reasonable sort of um, cost for healthcare, well, that's an, up for another debate. But in no way do we have any sort of market system in this country. We have something of a market, but it's very distorted and very strange. And it's almost designed to be the most expensive possible. Certainly at every turn, there's incentive to raise prices instead of to lower them. Well, I hope this was very good. I would ask that you please share this with any of your friends who might be interested in why healthcare is so expensive. I'd appreciate any sort of feedback you have. You can email me at the Paradox Show at protonmail.com. That's T-H-E-P-R-A-D-O-C-S 
S-H-O-W, at protonmail.com. You can get a hold of me at Twitter, at The Paradox Show, or on Facebook, at The Paradox. I would ask that you please go to, if you have not had a chance to yet, rating on Apple or iTunes. Please leave a written review. I'd appreciate those. And again, share this with your friends. You will be the smartest person at Thanksgiving and the holidays this year when you talk to your relatives, your uncle and your aunt. They'll be amazed that you understand this issue so thoroughly. And if you're a physician, I think it's even more important for you to understand why healthcare costs are so screwy. And to look at why things are happening the way they are within the market, both with your hospital systems, with the pharmaceuticals, with insurance companies, I hope it helps you understand exactly why things happen the way they do. And the incentives may help you negotiate better, may help you figure out certainly what the advantages are for various players to do what they're doing. And so anyway, I think it'll be useful for physicians as well. So go home, hang out with your relatives. You don't have to talk about politics. You don't have to talk about religion. But now you can talk a little bit of healthcare. I'm going to go and enjoy Thanksgiving. I hope you do too. I hope you think of me and shed a small tear for me as I watch my Detroit Lions lose yet again on Thanksgiving Day. Have a great turkey day, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what The Doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com.